Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service here at Embrace Church. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Hey guys, it's a new month and for us at Embrace, oftentimes a new month means a new series of messages. And just as we kind of came out of January, a month uh, to where we talked about vision and we looked at doing the right on the regular, this month we're going to lean into another thought process, which is already in our face. Well, we talked about this a little bit in our 915 ministry team gathering uh, prayer time and then Kingdom First prayer time at 945, that we're already inundated with the message from the world in the month of February, and that is Valentine's Day. You will be bombarded with a little over 1,800 different types of advertisements, whether it's through social medias or whether it's in the marketplaces, uh, Walgreens, Walmart, or any of the other walls. I don't leave any left out, you know. But but any of those, you'll see commercials on television, a little over 1,800 different advertisements about love and about Valentine's Day. And so this month is known as the month of love. But I want to remind you that the world does not own love. The marketplace does not have an angle on love. As a matter of fact, I know the one who created, invented love. I know the one who initiates love with us. 1 John 4, 19 says we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. How did he love us? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And we saw how Jesus laid his life down for us. For God so Love the world that he gave his only begotten son. We are the beloved of God in communion and fellowship and partnership, meeting with him often throughout our days and throughout our weeks. And so he is the one who owns love. And I believe we as Christians need to redeem what the world has hijacked and abused and manipulated and contorted and is using for its own benefit. Now, the world may have a certain kind of love that it calls love, but most of the time, it's really lust. It's really lust. It's really something that it is going to use and abuse for its own self-gratification. But in Christianity, love always demands sacrifice. Love always removes self and includes and, and, and really pursues the other person. And so as you came in this room this morning, you found a seat and in that seat, you found a piece of paper that looks like this. In this piece of paper, you're going to find encouragement from the leadership of Embrace Church to you to perform 21 acts of love in a month to where the whole world is already thinking about love. Roses are great and chocolate's wonderful, but I guarantee if you'll perform at least a handful of these 21 acts of love for somebody, it'll go a whole lot further than just that. And so this new series of messages, three messages in four weeks in the month of February, we're going to have something special for you on February the 20th. You want to make sure you're here for that. But this is the thought that we're going to carry, learning and loving relationships, learning and loving relationships. Let me, let me just kind of step aside from the message real quick and, and, and point out the obvious. My voice is struggling today. And so I want you to know that I'm not sick. I don't feel bad. I just coached about eight or nine basketball games from Thursday to Saturday or Friday, actually. And uh, I yell at my players a lot. So yeah, I yell at them and say, hey, quit turning the ball over. I love you. All right, so... <laughs> 
So that's the reason that I've got this going on. So learning and loving relationships. I want to break down that thought real quick in the way of introduction so that we at least know all together where we're moving with this thought process through the month of February. Learning. Can anybody in this room learn something new? Years ago, it was thought that a person could get past a certain age, and once you were past that certain age, then you're hardwired and you can't learn anything new. And we have a phrase for that. That phrase was, you can't teach a dog, old dog, new tricks. That's right. Can't teach an old dog, new tricks. But, but in reality, the, there's, there's, a, there, there's actually neuroscientists who have studied the brain and with these new tools through technology and found this thing called neuroplasticity, which means that the phrase, you can't teach an old dog, is really not right. You can teach an old dog new tricks and I'm getting on the old side, so I'm real thankful for that, right? And so learning, all of us can learn something new and all of us can grow in different ways, grow in our mind, but also grow in our relationships. And so we're learning and we're loving. The greatest investment that you will make in this lifetime is not in the stock markets when the stock markets are doing well. It's not, it's not in any other material, physical, financial sense will you make your greatest investments. But you'll make your greatest investments in the people around you that you can love. It's kind of amazing how in this same parallel illustration that Light shines and shows up in the darkest places. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in the woods, in the dark, pitch black, nothing. And then as you're trying to find your way out of those woods, you see the glimmering hope of a street light or a porch light or some kind of light that gives you direction toward life. I hunt and I do that a lot, right? I get in the woods and I don't like using lights going in. I don't like using lights go out because it's supposed to scare away the big bucks. But the big bucks wasn't there this year, I'm just going to tell you. Not for me. And so, so I, I've done that so many times. And, and when I see that light piercing through the darkness, it gives me hope and it brings me to life. I want you to do this, not just this month, but I want you to do this if you were a follower of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. I want you to target with your love those to whom the world is deemed unlovable. Those who are rejected by society. Those who are overlooked by the masses. You target your love on those. Why? Because it'll be as that light to them as they might be in darkness to see that light of hope and bring them to life. And what you'll find as you are trying to be hope for those who may need that love that you're showing them, in return, you're going to receive love and you're going to be blessed. So we're learning and loving relationships, right? Relation. Everybody has some kind of relationship. Your relationships might not all be healthy. They might not all be in a good place right now, but you've got relationships. And if you went home this afternoon and you began just to list the names of people that you have relationship with, whether it's by physical birth, your blood kin, 
or whether it's by throughout life, you've run across people in different situations and circumstances, whether it might have been something through your kids' activities and now you're friends because of football or, or maybe it's because you're co-workers with this individual. You will find that you have a plethora. You've got so many different kinds of relationships in your life. And so what you want to do with each and every one of these relationships is steward them really well. What, what, what do you mean steward? What does it mean to steward? Steward has the idea that you have been given something of great value. And with this thing that you have been given with great value, you want to be responsible in the greatest way over what has been entrusted into your care. Every human being that you have relationship with is valuable, valuable in the eyes of God. How do I know that? But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and gave his life for us. He loves the whole world. He's not willing that any should perish. God loves us and he places value on us through his love. And because he loves us, then we ought to love one another. And so we in this Deep investment we are through the month of February. I was, I was thinking through this series of messages and a lot of times what you'll find in a lot of church settings with preachers, and there's nothing wrong with it, they'll spend a whole month of February talking about the relationship between husband and wife. Let me just throw this out there. And, and, and marriage is, is something that obviously is going to be a part of the thought process. Uh, by the way, let me, let me say this. Husbands, you need to be learning and loving your wife. You say, we've been married 40 years. Ain't nothing left to learn. Oh yeah, it is. And you thinking that proves, yeah, you got a lot more than you thought you need to learn, right? So yeah, this, this applies to a marriage, but how many people out here, and young people, how many of you are single? Raise your hand if you're single here, right? So there's, there's still a lot of single people that we want to be able to help with this series of messages. So it can, it can fit both those who are married and those who might, may find themselves single. And so the first thought this morning is going to be the thought of loyalty. Well, what does the word loyal mean? Or what is the thought of loyalty? It literally means by definition, firm and constant support. Firm and constant support. Does the Bible answer the question of can we have firm and supportive relationships? Can we have loyal friendships? Can we be loyal to our neighbors? Can we be loyal together as the body of Christ? Can we be loyal to the Lord? Can we be loyal to our spouse and our children and our moms and our dads and all of these things through loving and learning these relationships? Well, the answer is yes, the Bible has an answer for that too. If you got your Bible, flip over real quick with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Samuel is in the Old Testament. There's a 1 Samuel and there's a 2 Samuel. It's kind of toward the, the front part of it. It's page 321 in my Bible. Probably not in yours. So you might want to go to the content, uh, the, the beginning of it, if you want to find out. Uh, where it's at in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. But what we find here on the screen is a relationship between David and a guy named Jonathan. Okay? And, and because the Bible is able to answer situations like this, by the way, the Bible has an answer for all of life's situations. 
There is absolutely nothing that you can encounter in life that the Bible does not answer. It doesn't matter what it is. You say, well, Andy, I can't find that, that word that I'm thinking about in a Google search to match a Bible verse in the Bible. Uh, I didn't say every word in the English language, especially in our culture, is in the Bible, but every issue that you face is answered by something in the Bible. The Bible teaches us as followers of Jesus how to live a life that Christ has called us to. But it also is a calling for those who are far from God, who have never trusted in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, to understand that Christ died on the cross for us and welcomes us into his family. So obviously the Bible has an answer for learning and loving these relationships and being loyal. And so let's go ahead and read this verse one of first Samuel chapter 18. And it came to pass when he made an end of, of speaking unto Saul, this he, the beginning is David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I want you to think how many times that, that verse uses the term soul. The Bible teaches us that we're made in the image of God and the image of God is a triune being, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're made in that image as a body, a physical body that identifies to this physical earth around us and we eat and drink and sleep and that tends to be nourishment for our physical body, right? But we're also a soul. And so what is a soul? A soul is the center of man's emotions, desires, and will. It is what we reference a lot of times to the heart of man, a desire of man but also a man is a spiritual being, Paul's. Man is a spiritual being as well. How do we know that man is a spiritual being? Because man is a man who is created to worship. Man worships all the time. The worship may be directed to different things. A lot of times we think a person has to be religious to worship. No, you just have to be alive to worship. You see, different religions worship different things. And in Christianity, we're called obviously to worship God the Father through Christ the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so we worship our best in that manner in passion and spirit and truth, right? But the world worships money and power and fame and all these things. And so this difference of the soul that I want to let you know is, is the soul of those who have never trusted in Jesus, who has decided to worship the things of the world or even other religions refusing to acknowledge Jesus is the only God. Their spirit, according to Ephesians 2, 1, is dead. Dead. It's dead to the things of God. It's metaphorical speaking. It's not alive to the things of God. It's, it's alive to the things of the world and dead to the things of God. And when a person says, Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner and that you died on the cross to save sinners, then in that very moment, what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3 takes place in that individual's heart. And they are born again. And when they're born again, all of a sudden their spirit comes alive. For those of you who have been saved, maybe 50 years, maybe five days, I don't know. But for those of you who are, who are saved, can't you remember that moment when you spiritually came alive and all of a sudden things began looking different, smelling different, life was just different for you. It's amazing. 
I know I got glasses when I was 15 years old going into the ninth grade. Guys, I busted up into McGee High School, first day of school, rocking it. This is how I did it. I had a light colored pair of blue jeans. I had a, a, may, or, or a royal blue long sleeve shirt buttoned up down the middle, red suspenders and glasses. <laughs> Word. Get you some of that. I figured if I had to have glasses, I'm going to do it right. Right? But this is the amazing thing. For all of my 15 years, I'm living life not knowing what I'm missing. I think I'm enjoying life to its fullest. I'm young. I'm healthy. I can do things, right? But, but I'm missing something I didn't know I was missing. <laughs> And then I go to the eye doctor and he sits me in this chair and he's got this chart on the other end of the room and he says, start off here. Well, that huge one up top is E. By the way, it's always E. Don't let them trick you. <laughs> and then you start working your way down. And I couldn't work very far down. And he brings this machine in front of me and starts clicking here, better now, what, all that kind of stuff. I get away with a pair of glasses and I'm riding down the road and all of a sudden I, I noticed, I knew that trees had leaves now. I wasn't that bad off. But I could actually see leaves flickering in the wind from a distance. Wow, amazing. And so I oftentimes think back to whenever I gave my life to Christ and was born again. That experience happened to me in a spiritual way. Wow. I didn't know what I was missing. You know, I, I, I thought Christianity was something that was going to damper my fun or, or take me away from something. And, but no, Christianity. Hey, guys, if you're not a, a follower of Jesus, Christianity is where it's at. That's where the party's at. You just don't know it. You can't see it. Right? And so just like God owns love, God also owns joy. Right? God has the angle on true pleasure. He's that kind of God. And so, so here, this word soul in this verse, that's, this, is, this whole series of messages is a soul message, right? It's about relationships. This, this physical body identifies with the earth. My spirit, I identify with God. I worship with it. But with the soul, I identify with you around me, right? And so it came to pass when David was done talking to Saul, what were they talking about? If you want to go back home and, and read chapter 16 to chapter 18, it's a really great read. What you'll find is the nation of Israel has met their, their all-time enemies, the, 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 um, the um, Philistines. And, and they've encamped on two, two mountains and the battlefield is in the middle in a valley. And so they've been camping out for quite some time. But, but, but the Philistines have got this champion called Goliath. And Goliath is a huge guy. And he comes out every day and he's mocking Israel and he's calling them wimps and sissies. And they won't come out to fight him. And he's defaming their God and he's making this big scene, right? And so word gets back. To, to David on that. How did word get back to David? David is sent by his father, Jesse, to take cheese and bread. Sounds like pizza to me. Takes it to, to the camp of Israel to give to David's three brothers who are in the tent, right? And so they're there and David hears what's going on and he goes to Saul and he says, hey, Saul, I don't know if everybody else is scared, but I ain't scared. 
I've recognized who's with me and it doesn't matter who's against me when I know who's with me and the one who's with me is always greater than who's against me. Ain't nothing changed for us since that time with David. And so David says, let's go. And, and Saul says, come into my tent, try on my armor. Saul's a big guy. David's a little guy. His armor didn't fit him. And he said, I'm not going to take that. Let me just get five smooth stones. And he goes and he kills Goliath, sinking a stone with a sling in his forehead and then cutting his head off and bringing it back to Saul. And so as they come back to Israel, to Jerusalem, all of a sudden this big fanfare happens to where they're saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. And then there's a conversation that happens after that. Why is it important in this conversation? There's not a whole lot known about what exactly they were talking about, but I'm quite sure that there was an in-depth conversation about a new champion named David who's come to rescue Israel from their enemy. And in this conversation, there might have been a little bit of angst because Saul gets this praise of just getting thousands while David, who Saul was the king, and David gets his ten thousands. But I noticed the the thought here of relationship, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit, bonded with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. David's talking to Saul. What's Jonathan doing? Jonathan is the son of Saul. He just kind of hanging out. And that day, whenever you were a king, at least you had one or two of your sons, most of the time your oldest few there, so that there could be support as family. When you died, your oldest son took the throne, those kind of things. And so Jonathan was just kind of like a fly on the wall. He had no say-so in this. He's just there checking things out. And so as, as David responds to Saul, something happens in the heart of Jonathan. And this is what happened. At the end of this conversation, if they would have had cell phones, David would have walked out of the palace and Jonathan would have texted him, do you want to be my BFF? <laughs> Thank God they didn't have cell phones. The soul of Jonathan was moved because there was something unique in the soul of David. There was humility he was impressed more than just and way beyond a warrior who could be used by God to do amazing things like take down a giant. There was something unique about David and Jonathan was drawn to him. And they formed this friendship that built such confidence in one another that it bred loyalty. Guys, understand this. Everybody you know isn't loyal to you and you're not loyal to them. But within this realm of relationship, there are those that you find yourself loyal to and, and, and they're loyal to you. There is firm and consistent or constant support offered to you by them and you to them, right? And, and so we see this throughout the life of Jonathan and David as their souls were knit and they loved one another as best friends, but they were, they were loyal. Let me, let me fast forward the, the story along a little bit. Saul falls on his sword and dies because he's threatened to be killed as the king. Jonathan is taken by an army of David and, and Jonathan dies Okay, And as all of this 
civil war takes place and David takes the throne of Israel. Saul's family is, is all slain. David's heart is moved because he knows the relationship that he had with Jonathan. He knows the commitment that he had with Jonathan. He knows the loyalty that he had with Jonathan. And so what does he do? Loyalty exceeds life here. He sends out word, is there anybody who is of the house of Saul that I might honor my friendship with Jonathan? And they find a lame guy, paralyzed from the waist down. His name is Mephibosheth. Ain't you glad for your middle name now, right? Yeah, Mephibosheth. And David says, bring him here. He will eat at my table for the rest of his life. I'm going to bless him and honor him and I'm going to give him good things because I love Jonathan. Loyalty. Man, we can learn an awful lot about relationships through the Bible. We can learn an awful lot of loyalty through the scripture. Let me just kind of give you four things that you'll need to get a grasp on, at least one, if not all four, and there's more than just this, about how we can live within relationships with loyalty, because that's what you want. Nobody starts a relationship thinking, how can I betray them, right? Nobody, nobody starts a relationship like that. Nobody is in the middle of a relationship thinking, how can I betray them? That's not what we want to do. So how can I live within relationships with loyalty? The first thing we recognize is to form a strong bond. That's what he said in verse one. To strong this, this form bond. bond. Bonds come from a quality of time which needs a quantity of time. And so these guys are bonded together in verse 1, but that bond becomes way greater than what they could ever have expected a bond to be. How many of you guys um, are a little handy around the house? It's okay to raise your hand, but if your wife takes it down, just leave it down. But if you feel like you're handy around the, so you guys know what, y'all know what J.B. Weld is? Yeah, yeah. bunch of rednecks. <laughs> y'all know what J.B. Weld is? <laughs> let's keep having my car together. Yeah, so, so J.B. Weld. Man, that's a great tool, right? It's a bonding agent. It's supposed to keep things together. So it's when two things come together, that a separate really can't, can't be adhesive and can't be, can't be as bonding. But when you put these things together, they're kept separately until it's time to put these things together. And they're put together. And then all of a sudden, what has been broken and what is super flexible, all of a sudden becomes concrete and together and formed. You see, loyalty without bond can't be loyalty for long. It takes time and investment to bond. If you want to do a study later, we don't have time this morning to go throughout the life of Jonathan and David, and you'll see one situation after another situation helped form bond. Let me just kind of give you this thought right quick before I move to the next thought. Bonds are not nearly as formed through the good times as they are through the difficult times. 
Now, I'm not going to lie. When I worship with you, when I pray with you, when I sing with you, when we hear the word together, when we respond to the word together, that's a bond there. There's a bond that's being made there. But when, when I'm hurting and you come to me and you minister to my need and I to you, there's all of a sudden a deeper bond that is created through that. You're helping me in a difficult time when there's difficulties. Guess what? This is newsflash. The world don't want to tell you this, but let's just say we have a disagreement. Hmm. This is what we want to do oftentimes is just cut ties and go, right? But what if Christianity had an answer to a disagreement? It does. And when there is the appropriate response to a bad situation within a relationship, then all of a sudden there can be healthy bonding growing. Form a strong bond. The second thing that we can do to live within the relationships of loyalty is to appreciate a true covenant, right? This, this is what he says in, in verses two and three. And Saul took David, him, that day, and would let him go no more to his father's home. This was the privilege of a king saying to now who's considered a warrior and a servant unto the king, hey, bud, you, this is where you live now. Go ahead and go to the post office. Get the, get the address changed. This is where you're going to be. In verse 3, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. A covenant. Appreciate a covenant. You see, there's a big difference between just a normal agreement, a contract, or a covenant. A covenant is the investment of an unconditional relationship that says, I am here. Not just, I'm, I'm present physically. Because the, the, the subtitle of today's message, loyalty, more than just being there. There's a lot of people who are physically there, but that's all they are as a body in the room taking up oxygen. That's not what we talk about when we talk about loyalty. We're talking about someone who is supporting, someone who is consistent, someone who is loving, someone who is running in when everyone else is running out. Appreciating a true covenant, a covenant that says, you know what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how off it is, no matter what happens, I love you. And I'm here for you. Covenants are made intentionally. Covenants are made thoughtfully. Covenants aren't without uh, expectations. But when expectations are not met, there's, there's room for mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. You see, we, we really appreciate the unconditional relationship like what we're talking about more when we're the one that needs it because we made the mistake than when it's us who has to cover the mistake, <laughs> right? Let, let, me, let me say it this way. When me and my wife get into a fight and I'm right, which I am 95% of the time, I'm just going to let you know, okay? Uh, hey, you, if I want her to know, I'll tell her, okay? You let me be the one to tell her. So, uh, so when we get into a fuss, into an argument, right? And if I'm right about it, then, then she's looking to me for forgiveness and mercy and grace. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm a man. This is what this is what I do. I have to fight this flesh in me. Well, yeah, I'm right. You said you were sorry, but maybe three more times you tell me you're sorry. I'll think about it. But when it's the other way around, and by the way, it is most of the time, okay? And I'm wrong, and she's right. I go to her, and I'm really expecting her right off, right off the bat. You know, I love you, Andy. It's okay. Come on, you know. Yeah. We, we, we want the unconditional covenant, that relationship. We want to appreciate that when we're wrong. But do you appreciate it when you're right? <laughs> Loyalty helps you appreciate it even when you are right. Then the next thing is, is live for sacrifice. Loyalty is known as loyalty because of sacrifice. Verse four, he says, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now, this is extremely important because Jonathan didn't work for this. This was given to him by his family. Out of all the things that are in this, the robe and the garments and his sword and his bow and his, and his girdle, the, those things are important, but the robe was the most important thing of that. Sandy, why was the robe more important than the sword? Why was the robe more important than the bow? Why was the robe more important than his, his belt? It's because the robe identified him with a family. I want to remind you of this story that took place in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of lost things found. And you've got a, a widow who, who's looking for a coin that she's lost, one out of ten. And you've got a shepherd who's looking for one sheep out of a hundred that's gone astray. And it's restored into the 99. And then there's a story about a man who has two sons. We call it the prodigal son story. The prodigal goes off and he squanders his father's inheritance by receipt. He got the inheritance basically by telling his dad, you're as good as dead to me. He goes and he squanders it by living terrible. And he finally finds himself eating from the hog pen and he goes back to his dad. He's got this repeated prayer. Father, forgive me. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he shows up to his dad. And what does his dad do? You guys remember the story? His dad runs to him and loves on him and kisses him. And the, and the son says, Father, I have. And the dad says to the servant, he didn't address the son. Why? Because forgiveness, I believe, in the heart of the father happened when the son took the first step away from home, not to home. And so, because it's in the heart, right? And so he turns to the servant and he says to the servants, Go kill the fatted calf. Bring me a ring and bring me a robe. You're not going to be a servant in my house. You carry my blood in your veins. This identifies you as me. This ring and this robe. This robe. Jonathan says, you part of my family, David. <laughs> I'm going to sacrifice what was given to me because of loyalty to give to you. Loyalty is not loyalty. It cannot be loyalty until it involves sacrifice. And then the last thing is ask for wisdom for your behavior. <laughs> I, I love what, what he says here in verse, verse five. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. 
And Saul set him over men's of war. And it did goes on and gives you some more description. But I just want to point out, he, he did what you try to get your kids to do when you go to Walmart every time. <laughs> Straighten up and fly right. Act right, right? He behaved himself wisely. Did it come because David was such a good guy, because David was such a smart guy, or did it become because David's heart was bent to seek the Lord? Before David was in the palace, he was in the pasture. Before David was receiving praise from men, he was giving praise to God. He was seeking God for wisdom. He was asking God. The only way you'll ever get wisdom is to seek the, the one who is wise. James chapter, chapter one, verse, verse two and three says, you're going to fall into different kinds of temptations, right? Let them, they let these trials work out patience in you. And then he says in verse five, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. You want it? Come get it. And guess what? You may, hey, look at me. You may not necessarily want it, but but I'm going to tell you, as a brother who loves you, you need it. You need it. So seek him for it. Specifically, seek the Lord for wisdom in the specific areas of your life. Don't just pray, God, give me wisdom as a blanket. It might be a little difficult to identify the areas in which it should be applied and whether or not you've received it for those areas. Pray specifically, God, I need wisdom to be the husband that I need to be with my wife in making this decision in this area of our life. God, help me be a wise dad to my children because I know they're going through difficult times. If, if you have children, let me tell you this, they're going through things a lot worse than what you went through. I thank God there wasn't Snapchat when I was 15. Sounds like some of y'all do the same. Yeah. And so God give, me God, give me wisdom for this work situation. God, give me wisdom for this. Just pray wisdom specifically. And I promise you, the God of all wisdom will grant wisdom for you in those areas. And so when you're praying for wisdom about your relationships, in that you're showing loyalty. You're showing support for them. Because you know in this relationship, they depend on you. And you depend on them, right? Man, relationships, whew, they can be tough. Anybody ever had a bad one? Anybody ever, any, anybody ever made it bad? Yeah. Let, let, me, let me tell you something about another relationship. Did you know that you were born into a bad relationship? I'm not saying your mom and dad or, you know, no, you wasn't born into anything like, you, you was born into this world as a sinner who was at, Enmity, hostility is an enemy of God. You were born a sinner. Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was shaped in sin and in sin my mother conceived me. And all sinners who are devoid away from have not received the grace of God, according to the Bible, deserves the wrath of God, which means ultimately when that person dies, if they reject the grace of Jesus Christ through the cross, when they die physically, they will spend an eternity in hell forever. Guys, I love you too much not to warn you of hell to come. Hell is a real place, just as real and even more so than the seat you're sitting in and the clothes that are covering your body. 
Hell is a real place where real people die a real death and spend a real eternity and they face a real fire and a real worm that dieth not. And all of these things, all of these consequences of hell, it is a real place. But there is a real Savior named Jesus who really died 2,000 years ago, a real physical death on the cross. And he was buried in a real tomb and they took a real stone and they rolled it over the real mouth of that, that, that tomb and he really physically rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven. He did that. Yeah, that's right. He did that. And he did that because he wants a relationship with you. He's just trying to help you. He ain't trying to hurt you. He's saying, come over here, man. Trust me. See, this is the thing. God was loyal to me before I ever knew that he was loyal to me. God is loyal. He is consistently, constantly attempting to support us. Say, come to me. Guys, if you don't know Jesus, today's a great day to know Jesus.